hello, and welcome to the Stories About My Ass podcast, field notes in filmmaking, glamping, and miniature donkey ownership. I'm your host, Brandon Dickerson, and you are asking why in the world do we need such a podcast? And I'll tell you why. There is a void in the podcast universe for shows focused solely on film, filmmaking, glamorous camping, boutique retreats, and ownership of small farm animals. So we are filling that gap with the Stories About My Ass podcast. The name comes from my blog of the same name. I've been a director for 20 years, always wanted to do feature films, but started my career in commercials and music videos. Did hundreds of both of those before leaving Hollywood and moving to Texas, which to my surprise sparked my feature film career. And in the last seven years, I've directed four feature films, Seronia, Victor, A Single Frame, which is actually a documentary, and then my new film, Amanda and Jack Go Glamping, which is starring David Arquette. So that first rehearsal session that you're talking about, I sort of revealed a lot of very damaging and personal information about myself, but for the love of the craft and the goal of being honest, like, okay, how would you feel if this is the guy that you're, you know, trying to save a relationship with? My fourth film stars David Arquette. And today's guest is David Arquette, and you are putting two and two together, and you are saying, wait a minute, Brandon, isn't this all just a front to promote your new movie? And to that, I would say, how dare you? And you're right. That is correct. I am inspired by wanting people to hear about my new film. So I've expanded my blog and what was storiesaboutmyass.com is now Stories About My Ass, the podcast. And the first season is fully focused on the cast of my new film, Amanda and Jack Go Glamping. So we will hear from David Arquette, the amazing Amy Acker, which is my second film to work with her, and Aiden Canto and Chris Carpenter, among others. And I think you're going to enjoy it. Now, I know you're asking, what is Amanda and Jack Go Glamping about? And I'm very glad you asked that. It's a quirky romantic comedy starring Amy Acker and David Arquette as a couple out of San Francisco that goes to a boutique glamping retreat, which is glamorous camping, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, in hopes of saving their marriage. Their private retreat suddenly becomes anything but private with the arrival of two honeymooning hipsters and their friends, as well as one hunk of a landowner of Green Acres played by Aiden Canto. And comedy ensues. I look forward to talking more with the cast over this podcast. And I think you'll enjoy our interview with David Arquette. But first, I think I'll start every podcast with a little bit of a story. I'm always interested in finding out what it was that sparked someone towards their passion. What was it that made them want to be a writer or a musician or a nurse or a chef? And I am often asked the question of when I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. And the answer is actually, I was eight years old. I grew up behind the Orange Curtain in Orange County, California, before it was called The O.C., before that show came out. And we would go to movies all the time. And the Brea Marketplace Theater was our favorite, and I went with my parents to see The Champ. I don't know if you remember The Champ or saw The Champ, but it is little Ricky Schroeder and John Voight, and it is a tearjerker. 
And little eight-year-old me saw that film and sat in the theater. And at the end, I won't spoil it for you, but I start bawling. I just start weeping almost uncontrollably. But somehow I loved the film. So two weeks later, I asked my aunt to take me back to see the exact same film playing at the same time in the same theater. And at the end, I cried again. And I couldn't believe it that you could know exactly what was going to happen with a film, and yet it would make you cry. So I asked my dad, what kind of magic is this that you could know the end of something and it would move you emotionally in such a way? And my dad explained to me that that is what a director does. And at that time, I declared, I no longer want to be an astronaut. I want to be a feature film director. And since that time, I've not only been a lover of films, but desired to make films. When I graduated from junior high, my father bought me a VHS camcorder. Now, for those of you that don't know, a VHS camcorder took a large VHS tape and went into a recording device with a lens on it that went on your shoulder. It was very large and clunky, but it provided me the opportunity to make films throughout my neighborhood. So if you were my friend in high school, you were going to star in films like Nightmare on Manzanita Street, or Rewind the Movie, or Brandon Vision, or Verge. And then I discovered Super 8 and started making Super 8 films, which were a little more interesting, but certainly that whole experience solidified my young desire to be a filmmaker, and I've been trying to make movies ever since. So years later, when I finally got the opportunity to make my first feature film, Seronia, it was premiering at the Austin Film Festival. And after the film and the Q&A, someone asked me this very question, how I got into filmmaking. And I told the story of The Champ. And they said, do you mean the 1931 original starring Jackie Cooper or the remake? The remake? I had no idea that my entire career was inspired by a remake. And once again, in a theater, I began to weep uncontrollably. Interesting enough, Amanda and Jack will be premiering at the Austin Film Festival as well. I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to David Arquette getting the opportunity to see the film for the very first time. So let's jump right in to my interview with David Arquette. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. We're all official. We are. I'm all sweaty. It's good. I'm moving. Feels par for the course. It's like we're back at Green Acres. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe how sweaty I must be in that movie. It was rough. I was sweating too, but I, I didn't have to be on camera. So you, David, have been in everything from Scream to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You are a world champion on the WCW you were in one of my favorite films, Beautiful Girls. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about like how you got into acting, like the whole thing from an early age. Well, from an early age, we used to do little improvisational games. My dad was an improvisational actor, Louis Arquette. And he studied in Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. And he was with Second City and the committee, which is an old improvisational group. And that's where we really started. I studied with Paul Sills, who also had an improv company called Sills and Company. And my mom was an actress as well. And she taught an acting class in Chicago when we lived there. And your whole fam was into it, right? I mean, all of you. Well, we're fourth generation, so we go back to vaudeville. But vaudeville's where you got into, is that where the whole marionette thing came from way back when? When did you first get into that? A little bit. My grandfather, Cliff Arquette, 
used to love puppets and, and built them and was even in popular mechanics as a puppeteer and a puppet maker. And my father loved them too. So uh, we grew up with these puppets. That's awesome. So jump way ahead to where we first met. Um, yep. You got the script from your sister, right? Yeah. And Kathleen sent it. It was like a dream come true. It like happened overnight. And I was like, well, this is an incredible script. You know, I've been in this business so long that uh, something like that's just a gift to be able to play that part in this film. So for those listening, so uh, Kathleen Sutherland and Susan Kier were the producers and Kathleen produced Boyhood and, of yeah. course, worked with your sister on that. So she sent me the script and I read it overnight and I was so thrilled by the prospect of doing that movie and playing that character. It was such a beautiful story. It spoke to me personally about what I was going through. I had been through a divorce already, so knowing like what happens leading up to that, just all the emotion that's involved in that, like the feelings of, you know, when you're at the crossroads of, are you going to make this work or not? <laughs> like all the feelings that are going on, all those complicated emotions, like just spoke so true. Man, I remember how great it was the first time that we spoke. Yeah. And I was just so impressed how you sort of dug in deep into the, we kind of dove pretty quickly beyond the comedy and into the kind of depth of the story. <laughs> and we talked about pain and insecurities and imposter syndrome and everything that this Jack character was feeling. And then it was incredible to get the chance to spend a few days out at Green Acres. So you came yeah. out and Aiden <laughs> yeah. came out and then Amy came out. And so we all, I don't know if you'd call it workshopped or what. We just, we just stayed in. We just glamped. <laughs> what's, what's the glamping and rehearsing? We glampersed. <laughs> yeah, we glampersed. What was so great is you, it wasn't by design, but you sort of had the same kind of <laughs> trepidation about glamping that the character Jack would have had. So what was it like staying in the yurt? Well, I was there the first night I just literally showed up. There was kind of no one around and Chris had showed me around. You showed me like, I don't know exactly what happened, but I just found myself in a yurt at the end of the night and there was no one else there. And I'm sure there was either a fox or something that made crazy noises in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. And I was like, well, there's only fabric between me and some creature. So I did have that experience of like, uh, I don't feel safe. Yeah, I didn't mean it to be like boot camp for the film, but it turned out to be when we started filming and, and your character Jack was freaked out by every noise. You had something to pull from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you hear like a coyote pack attack something. <laughs> That'll shut you down. It's like, oh. yeah. How, how was it meeting Amy? So you had you'd worked with Amy's husband before in New yeah. York, but you had not. Did a play in Los Angeles actually. We did a Rocky Horror Picture Show, That's and so I great. played Frankenfurter, and he played the monster or the creature, whatever you call him. Yeah. And it was a great. I mean, it was really a, like it was my first sort of professional theater experience, and he was a well-trained theatrical actor already. It's just really a pivotal moment in my life, just to 
do that. It was at the Tiffany Theater in Los Angeles, which is now gone. So it was just a kind of beautiful experience. So then you met Amy for the first time. Yeah, Amy's amazing. I was so like impressed by just her poise. She's just got such a character that just transcends herself. She's just so thoughtful. She's so caring. She's so like omnipresent of everything going on. And she's just such a like down to earth human being. Just like as an actor, like just in the thing, like this is my wife. You know what I mean? That moment, it's like, oh, I could love this person in a second. You know what I mean? She's just so pure and whole. And, and also, a tremendous actress. Like, on cue, she's real. That's what you're always looking for, like, just to be real and, and be in the moment. You know, when you and Amy sort of workshop that first scene, and she's so amazing, and I'd worked with her before, and then you just brought such a seriousness to the role because of what you said about the depth of it. And so the two of you working together was just a treat for me as a director. And it was, it was just an incredible experience. And I feel like I can't wait for the film to come out because I feel like it's all on screen and that sort Is of, it? yeah, oh, I haven't seen it. Uh, so that's so good. To hear. Oh, you're going to yeah. love it. And I mean, it, when you're doing something that's like so steeped in, emotion and like you know all of these tremendous levels of like relationship like what people go through you really have to bring it so that first rehearsal session that you're talking about yeah i uh i sort of revealed a lot of very damaging and personal information about myself but for the love of the craft and the goal of being honest and true and like all this stuff that's going on with them and she's having problems with me, but, you know, beyond what's even in the, on the page, the past that might have happened, this distrust, all this stuff. And then her being able to, like, have that anger and distrust toward me, which was my true goal in saying some of that stuff, was like, okay, how would you feel if this is the guy that you're, you know, trying to save a relationship with? And this is some of the stuff that he's done, you know? It was incredible. I mean, it was amazing that you guys were willing to kind of be so vulnerable and put so much on the screen. And then what was amazing is you you gave that every day. You were generous in the way you took the role so seriously. And then you were also generous. Do you remember you gave me a gift every day? on set. (laughs) And and I don't know if it was like, that was my fault because after day five, I may have said like, are you giving me one every day? And then you felt compelled. Oh, it may have been at that point, but it's sort of my nature as well. (laughs) You, you had given me gifts seven days in a row. And then I could tell when I said, are you giving me a gift every day? You kind of went, I guess, yeah, yeah, I am giving you a gift every day. And then by the end, I had the most amazing treasure trove of everything from these high-end bocce balls and then a Yoda Pez and a really nice cigar and a lottery ticket, which you gave, the lottery tickets you gave to everyone on set, which was incredible. And then you brought me a trumpet. Then you brought yes. Kirsten, my wife, that singing Elvis statue. Yes. It's also a decanter, by the way. <laughs> the, the, my favorite, though, is you, you made me a painting of Donkey. 
on a piece of wood. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I have that in my office. I got that wood from Green Acres. I had no idea that you were an artist until you gave me the wood carved picture of Donkey. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up doing graffiti art. Alexis, my sister, was an amazing artist, and I always tried to keep up with Alexis. So that's how I first got into it. And then I started doing graffiti, and that like really inspired me to get more into art. And then I went to like a magnet art school and took a few art classes. I even took a molding class at USC. So I do love it. You're very good. I mean, that was incredibly shocking. Thank you, yeah, that was fantastic. So you're a father a husband, a WCW champion, used to be in a band, you're producing TV. How do you relax? Like I've, I've started to think about the fact that I like all things re that begin with R E certainly retreats. And we'll talk about that, but that, (laughs) that gives, you know, you can relax, restore, redeem, refocus, recalibrate, react. (laughs) (laughs) You know, how do you, Retreat. Rejuvenate. I actually, I love working. So when I'm working, I'm kind of relaxed. I enjoy acting. Acting to me, there's a relaxation to it. Like I know where I'm supposed to be. I know what I'm supposed to film the next day. I know what to expect. I don't know. I I like that. Running around chasing kids and, and, you know, making sure the dogs don't bite the electrician and, you know, all that stuff. That's a... That's stressful. (laughs) Do you guys get away? I know for us and kind of what inspired purchasing Green Acres in the first place, as you know, was this idea of retreat. And when I lived in LA, I would always find, I kind of had to, to survive places to get away. Do you find that there's sort of a retreat or is there any sort of place or experience that you've had that has given you that time away? To reflect, if you will. Yeah. We recently got a place in Lake Arrowhead. Nice. Which is really nice. So it's like two hours from LA and you can go up and be in the mountain air with the trees and on the lake and just really kind of get away for a second. Small town feeling. So that's a really good retreat for us. My interview with David Arquette will continue after the Mason Movie Minute, the time where my son, who's become quite the cinephile, will tell us a movie that we need to see. Okay, welcome to the Mason Movie Minute or two. We are in Mason's room, surrounded by an impressive collection of VHS, as well as vinyl and an Atari 2600. Mason, welcome to your minute. Thank you. (laughs) So every week you're going to tell us a movie that we should see. Yes. Tell us. Well, this week, might I recommend It's Such a Beautiful Day by Don Hertzfeld. I kind of have the butcher his last name, but it's a really good movie and you should watch it. When did it come out? Came out in 2012. Don made three animated short films and he kind of compiled them into a feature length movie, even though it's still really short, but it's just really good. It kind of explores like the meaning of life and death and all that fun stuff. <laughs> it's really funny, but it's also really sad. So, so yeah. life, death, funny, sad. Yes. It made you laugh. It made you cry. Yes. It will do both of those things. You have been telling me to see this film for quite some time. Yes. Where can I see such a thing? 
it used to be on Netflix. I don't think it is now, but I watched it on Fandor and you can make a free trial or find some other sketchy way to watch it. It's up to you. Okay. But we don't support. No, we don't support piracy. Don't pirate. It's going to put my dad out of business. So tell me just one last thing. It's such a beautiful day is your first Mason movie minute. Any last plugs for why this is fantastic and why we need to see this film? I think it definitely explores a lot of big, heady, like existential themes in an hour (laughs) with stick figures. Like it's all stick figures, but these stick figures have a lot going for them. They have the deal with mental illness and the inevitability of death and the potential meaningless in their existence. But then it's kind of beautiful because it's such a beautiful day. So you should watch it. It's really good. It'll make you think and it'll make you sad. It'll also make you laugh. And was it up for an Academy Award or was it was nominated for Best Animated Feature when it came out? It did not win, though. I'm sure some Pixar thing won. Yeah. Spoiler. All right, Mason. Proud of you. Thank you. This has been the Mason Movie Minute. I wanted to show you a scene on my phone and then we can chat. Man, I haven't seen anything. Is it going to freak you out? Oh, I can't wait to see this film. I really can't. I'm just going to be so sweaty in it. I know I'm going to be so... It's part of the character, but I'm literally, like, sweating my ass off. This is one of you with, like, the, the hipsters. So I'll show it to you. Oh, cool. All right, here you go. You should keep writing. Oh, I do. All right. Have been. Trivia question. Name one other book of mine from the last 15 years. Nobody? No bars, bro. Well, there were three, actually. But the truth of the matter is, the checkered failures will beat you down into the great twilight till you don't have the strength to get back up again. You're really wrecking the vibe here. (laughs) That coming from a guy who can only read 140 characters at a time. Easy, Hemingway. I'm sorry, am I old man photobombing your millennial selfie stick? It's a dream catcher. Really? Looks like your hashtag bullshit antenna. All right, all right, who's up for some artisan's s'mores? Oh, my God. Yes, please. That's so sweet to see. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What'd you think? It's awesome. It's awesome. It's such an interesting thing, that sort of generational, right? Like, talking. That's why yeah. I love the idea of kind of throwing your character in with this younger you know characters and then you want to be a writer and and they just you know write things every day and it just they have distribution immediately they can just post it and people read it and the generation that we came from like if you wanted to write you had to write and then publish and (laughs) find an audience i remember (laughs) do you remember one night you and amy went out with daniel nicole they said they left and said brp (laughs) And yeah. you guys said, what's that? And they said, oh, be right back. <laughs> it was like the actual like, film. Bring your own, what's R? <laughs> PR. No, wait, what's going on? Hey, speaking of films, what's the best film you've seen in the last six months? Well, I did see La La Land. I enjoyed it. It was really funny to me. It's kind of like a autobiographical. <laughs> in what so, way? So it's like this story of someone in L.A. It's all of my favorite, like, locations. It's singing and dancing. Like, I love singing and dancing. Um, I'm with you. I don't know. It just reminded me, like, uh, if I 
hadn't made some of the horrible decisions I'd made, <laughs> maybe uh, I would have a better career. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I know. That's the, that's the harsh part of like living in L.A., growing up in L.A., going through you know, some of your younger trying years in L.A., it kind of, it's, it's, it gets rough sometimes. How so? Yeah, no, just, you know, dealing with a divorce, for, for instance, like publicly is just tragedy. Right. Squared. Just tough stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, I'm always sort of a little bit of an instigator troublemaker. So I've often sort of either burnt some bridges or, you know, caused start started some fires when I probably should have been a little quicker and smarter. But I lost my parents at an early age. I didn't really have my dad there saying, hey, buddy, you know, tone it down. <laughs> yeah. And then there is something about L.A. that seems to just turn up the volume on everything. For sure. Hell yeah. Yeah. It does. I couldn't imagine the, I mean, something you just mentioned, I sometimes take for granted just thinking about I did have a, a dad to sort of keep me from going off the rails. And I bet that was, um, I can't imagine not having that. So. Yeah. It's, it's tough when it like sort of goes away. It's yeah. You don't know how, how like important all that stuff. I mean, I guess, you know, but once you lose your parents, I lost my mom at 25, my dad a few years later. Mm. So it's kind of, uh, that's young. I don't know. It, it bugged me up for a long time. That's so young. How does that affect you as a father? Because I project all sorts of stuff from my childhood on my parenting. Yeah. I don't know if it makes me like kind of paranoid sometimes. Like, oh, I'd hate for them to have to, you know, knock on wood and lose a parent prematurely or, you know, that kind of sort of fear. It can kind of get too much if you start thinking that way, you know? Totally. Um, there's so much surrender and I like totally prescribe to that sort of philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. That we sort of, you know, make up for stuff or subconsciously doing all this stuff. Yeah. That I think it's not to loop us back, but I think that's why I need those sort of downtimes, the yeah. retreat, reflect, restore, renew, Resurrection. Resurrection. Yeah. Redemption. <laughs> yeah. Redemption. That's what I was looking for. All of it. Yeah. I need those times because I yeah. get flustered. I find that a good meal can completely, you know, restore me. And I know that food is also a big deal for you guys. One, you've done TV shows. Two, you hosted a thing at your house, Slow Food, Slow Fashion. Tell, tell me about both of those things. Um, well, we love cooking. My wife's an amazing cook and her mom was a chef and like ran the whole foods in Venice, which is like the one of the largest in the country. So that's like cooking all that food every day, ran a huge kitchen of, of people. So she's really incredible. They both cooking together is amazing. So that's fun. We love doing that. We love entertaining. We love doing that event for Raven and Lily. That was just so fun. The whole farm to table, you know, philosophy and all the, sort of thought going behind uh, the way you eat and the way you dress yourself and the way you, you know, live your life. That uh, That's all still very inspiring to me. Yeah. I was so jealous. I wasn't there. I heard that they had cooked for several days before, before the well, gathering. They always like 
during the holidays, we just get into these month-long cooking frenzies where it almost feels like you're going from meal to meal or you're prepping another meal and finishing one thing or doing some leftovers and baking something for the next day. I mean, it's just nonstop kind of stuff. And especially when Christina was pregnant, and sure, uh, I put on some pounds. <laughs> oh, man. When Kirsten was pregnant, I gained 25 pounds the yeah, first time. I, I was just, the, the photos of us in the hospital, Kirsten looks completely beaming, and I just look like heavy set and wiped out. I look worse than she does. Oh, my God. It's, it's hilarious. And then it took me like a year and a half to lose that weight. I'm telling like, you, I'm still working on it. Oh, man. Hey, Maylee. Yeah. Come here. You want to say hi to David? Oh. Okay. Hold on. Maylee wants to say hello. 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 How are you, Maylee? I'm good. Awesome. How's school? Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I took over Maylee's room <laughs> for the recording. Oh, no. So she walked in. She speaking of food, she's an amazing little chef. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You used to be in a band, right? Briefly, yeah. It was right at uh, 1999, before the year 2000. You know, we had two gold records. (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah, because we got on on the Scream soundtracks of two and three or something, or one and two. I need to go listen to that. Yeah. Well, no, you don't. You really don't. (laughs) Tell me the name of the band. Ear 2000. (laughs) Just drop the Y. It's Ear. Ear 2000. Uh, it's so bad. Awkward. Hey, tell me your favorite breed of livestock. My favorite breed of livestock? Meaning, like, well, well you know, I we talk your, a lot about your donkey. Yeah. Your t- ass is the best <laughs> yeah, animal that, I've ever met. It ever. wasn't a leading question to get you to compliment my ass. It's just. <laughs> I love your ass. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that That is the greatest. I mean, I do love a Shetland pony, though. I mm. like a little. I like miniature anythings, you know? Well, man, this was awesome. Thank you, man. I'll send you a, we have this recent, like really bad recording of year 2000, this one song we did. Oh my gosh. But it, it was an inspired take. So it's like a rehearsal session, but it sounds interesting. It's called Marijuana. It's like a story song, which are always interesting. But a guy who goes to Tijuana to score some marijuana. Does it, does it turn out well for him? <laughs> Well, yes, absolutely. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Year 2000's latest hit with David Marquette. No family fun program would be complete without also involving my aspiring 13-year-old chef daughter. So I give you May Lee's tasty treat. Okay, describe to me here what we're eating. We are eating sushi with smoked salmon, avocado, and mango. What do we call this meal? The mushu roll. The mushu roll. Our dog is named Mushu, and so we have a little special Sushi Master International Sushi Maker Plus. And what do you have laid out here? You have mango. How did you cut this mango? I cut it with a mandolin. 
with a mandolin. Yes. The instrument? The kitchen tool. Describe that to me. You put the veggie or fruit on the blade slash board and um, you move it back and forth and it slices it super thin. All right, and we're trying our knife. We're actually trying a bread knife on sushi. Nice, it actually works much better than the knife before. Look at that, that's amazing. Can I try it? Yeah. Okay, so this has sushi rice, mango, salmon, avocado. First bite, you ready? Here we go. Mmm, super good. I love it. Nice. <laughs> All right, hold on. Come here, you gotta taste one of these. Okay, taste test. Mason. That's pretty good. Karis, can you come taste this? Hello. Okay, should I try this one? Mm -hmm. Do I need soy sauce? Mm -hmm. Just as is? Mm-hmm. Mmm. It's very good. I love it. This is a hit. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Can I have another one? Yeah. Wait. All right. This has been Cooking with Maylee. Maylee, that was crazy tasty. And that is it for episode one of Stories About My Ass. If you came only for the miniature donkey input, I will let you know that a male donkey is called a jack, a female donkey is called a jinnet, and a baby donkey is called a fowl, but I just call it the cutest thing that you have ever seen. Our podcast was produced by Chris Mann, Jeff Carpenter, and myself. Next week, we will have an interview with Amy Acker, who I hope you are watching on her Marvel TV show, Gifted, which is now on Fox. Enjoy. Have a great week.